Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company on this Thursday afternoon for the call. 10 stocks that you suggest, we put them to two experts for their adjudication and we all get, a, get it done in one hour, plus I throw in a stock of the day. Uh, let's meet our panel, let's get straight into it. And Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities is with us. Uh, Michael, how are you, sir? Good, David, how are you? Uh, really great unemployment figures just came yeah. came out the last uh, Smashed out morning. Smashed Oh, huge. Um, all of this, these predictions of employment falling off a cliff when JobKeeper finish. Mm. Oh, put that behind us now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, uh, what do you think it's uh, buoyant for the share market, do you think? Yeah, look, I think um, at the moment our share market seems preoccupied with um, what's happened overnight with um, the Fed commentary about a couple of rate hikes. Yes. Um, obviously, unemployment dropping a lot more than expected in some ways might have people thinking about uh, inflation down the track as well. So, you know, we've got that to contend with. We've had the, the Chinese yesterday talk about freeing up some of their commodities reserves. So yeah. at the moment, there's a bit of a negative feeling out there on the market. But I think mm. once we see beyond that, um, okay. the market, I, I think the market still has further to run ultimately. Right. So I okay. Think it'd be good. Interesting time uh, where you need absolutely up-to-date information, and that's what we give you here. Um, also joining the panel today, Oren Raskovich from uh, Rask Media, the Rask Report. How are you, mate? You're well from Melbourne. Always well, mate. Especially when we're talking about stocks and yeah. companies, and, <laughs> yeah, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm doing really well. We're uh, it's quiet in the CBD down here today, but um, happy to be chatting. Yeah, all those restrictions. Uh, restrictions ease a bit further tonight, don't they, in Melbourne, which is, uh, which is great news. Yeah, it's always um, a reprieve, right, to be able to come in the office and just have that water cooler talk and just see businesses around Melbourne um, yeah. coming back to life. Because yeah. it was a bit of a shock this past month, so oh, yeah. fingers Ab crossed, a return to normal. Absolutely, and, and do it quickly. All right, let's get straight into it. And uh, as I said, I always decide on a stock of the day, something in the news. So we take a look at Seven West Media uh, out this morning with a trading update, tipping full year earnings to nearly double, boosted by a really strong fourth quarter rebound in post-lockdown ad revenue. Uh, costs are down, the company flagging positive momentum into uh, the first quarter of the new financial year as well. 
Uh, thought we'd look at them because uh, last week, week before, um, here on the call, Nine Entertainment came up. Of course, the, the other big media group listed on the market here in Australia. And uh, it actually went into the call's portfolio because uh, uh, the panel that day thought it, some of the, the big traditional media stocks were looking good and like Nine Entertainment. Far cry from 12 months ago when they were certainly out of favour. Um, Owen, what did you reckon of the Seven West Media update and the stock itself? Uh, sorry, Kashi, I think I lost you for a moment there, but I was pretty surprised by the update, to be honest. I think it was, it was good. Um, you know, if, if just to your point about looking attractive and the valuations, if you think about um, the EBITDA guidance, the earnest, earnings before interest tax, um, interest and depreciation amortization, if I got that right, um, looking to between 250 and $255 million, uh, which is pretty impressive when you can put that beside the market cap, which is around about $700 million. So in terms of valuations, it's actually pretty good to see a company like this, an incumbent that's actually trading in a reasonable multiple. Um, it's also really promising to see that kind of connected TV arm, that, you know, that streaming service that they've got going, which I'm, you know, we're chatting on right now. Um, it's always... It's always um, good to see a company that has struggled to um, make that turnaround, and particularly in share price over a long period, actually showing early signs of a return. So um, overall, I think it's a really interesting um, business, I think, um, where it's going in terms of you know, more advertising online. Um, these are all really positive signs and green shoots that we're starting to see. Um, for me, I'd probably like to see you know the full-year earnings and really get a shake out of those costs. They said they're going to come in at the lower end of the range, which is always reassuring. Um, but still, you know, that cash flow comes, comes in, they can do more with it, you know, reinvest back in the business or even, you know, dare I say it, maybe even a dividend in a, in a couple of years if things keep going this way. So all things considered, a very positive result for me. Okay, so would it be a hold for you until the, the full year comes out? Yeah, I think that's, you know, just in terms of the way I invest, Koshi, which is primarily focused on growth businesses, I, I think that would be um, the most appropriate for me right now. Yep. Okay, Michael? What do you think of uh, the announcement and, and Seven as a stock? Yeah, look, I, I like the look of it. I, I mean, we quite like businesses that are cyclical at the moment. So if we're expecting the economy to continue to improve, we want to be invested in businesses that will be leveraged to that improvement. And, yeah. you know, Seven West is, is one of those types of businesses. Um, you know, good results. So the earnings came in above uh, consensus estimates. Um, costs were, were at the lower end of guidance, as you mentioned in the intro. So these are all good things. Um, when it comes to, I guess, reacting to announcements like this, it's always important to see the share price reaction as well, because as yeah. you know, if all of this is already sort of baked into the price, so you get a positive announcement, but a negative share price reaction, then it's already telling you it's, it's factored in. But in this case, we've had a situation where the Seven West share price has gone backwards over the last few months. Yep. Um, so I guess there has been a bit of, I guess, uncertainty out there in the market. So for it, for the company to announce a result like this and for the share price to react, I think at the moment it's up more than 10%. Mm. That's telling us that that it was, in my opinion, probably a bit too cheap um, coming into to this announcement. So yep. I think the share price will continue on. I think as long as if I look at the chart, as long as it stays above 44 cents, I'd say that this downtrend from the last few months is probably 
uh, over, uh, right. and I think the share price will appreciate. So the short of it is, I'd be happy to buy it here if it stays okay. at forty. All right, um, and uh, you look at it not so long ago. If you, we get the twelve-month chart up, it was down at nine cents yeah. only about six months ago. From so from nine, what well, there we are, September, August, September, October, mm. nine cents, and now up to forty-seven. So uh, up by by four times. Yeah. Um, if you had the guts to buy it back, <laughs> back then when things were looking uh, a little fragile, a little uncertain. Mm. All right, um, uh, so that's 7 West Media. Let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And uh, Ryan, uh, Michael wants a view on Domino's, the, mm. uh, what do you call it? The, the big, not only the big pizza company, but it's it sort of... Yeah. Um, packages itself up into a, as a bit of a tech company a tech as well, company. doesn't it? Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Share price done enormously. Yeah, look, it's done. It's done really well, and um, actually, I think it can continue to, to head high here oh. based based on the way it's trading. So, it initially peaked in February and got a bit ahead of itself, and um, only in the last couple of weeks, it's managed to surpass that that February peak. So, you know, charting wise, there's a nice trend. Um, you know, you could argue that maybe it's getting a bit expensive here for its earnings. Uh, there was some commentary around their Taiwanese acquisition recently that maybe yeah. they overpaid for that. But, yeah. um, and, and it's import, important to point out that uh, Domino's just isn't in Australia. This listed yeah. arm of the, of the global entity, the Australian arm, um, they're big in Japan mm. as well, Taiwan, Germany as well. They've, yeah. they've made big inroads there. Yeah, even in Europe, where yeah. initially you'd think, well, I think they probably know a bit about pizzas. Well, they really <laughs> want to eat Domino's. Um, exactly. But, you know, um, hats off to them. They're, yeah. you know, they're making it work. So, yeah, look, I, I guess I'd be happy to hold it, um, maybe even buy it here, but I'd be very just cautious on that valuation. I think any, um, any sort of danger signs in terms of that growth, they really need to continue growing. Yeah. So, for me, it's a tentative buy and hold. Okay. All right. So... Well, you can't have it both ways, Michael. A buy or a hold. Well, let's just let's just buy it. Uh, just buy it, it, okay. Yeah. <laughs> at one hundred and seventeen bucks, it's uh, again. You look at that chart down to mm. to thirty seven dollars uh, twenty nineteen, and yeah. uh, uh, it's had an enormous run. Um, Owen, what do you think of Domino's? Like, I I get stunned at how well it's run. I've told the story before, but I. I met a, a Domino's franchise owner uh, who had six, uh, based in Victoria, and they tend to mm. clump them all together. He had six stores or something, and we we're having lunch, and he pulled out his smartphone, and there was the Domino's app, where in real time, all six stores were being measured on how many orders they had in, how quickly they were turning them around, the types of pizzas, and he's able to shift his staff from one store to another, depending on volume and demand and all that sort of stuff. It was extraordinary the amount of information this owner had in real time on how his business was going. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned technology, Koshi, and that kind of intimacy with the customer and the product and just all around the business. Um, there's actually, this is a kind of a digression, but there was a company called Dragon Tail Systems, and I say was because they announced that they were getting taken over um, by a company that's not owned by Domino's, 
um, we'll just say that might be a competitor. And they actually were one of the key technology inputs into Domino's um, technology yeah. stack. So um, a, a competitor has kind of snatched them from underneath Domino's. So um, that's an interesting aside. But wow. yeah, it's, it's uh, the thing about businesses like Domino's, and this harkens back to the days when Peter Lynch would talk about investing what you know, and also franchise business being repeatable businesses. So if you have a formula that works, really all you have to do with a franchise business or even a company run store network is just roll out more stores. And then you can assess the profitability per store, you can ratchet up sales in one territory because you know something works in another territory and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, Domino's is not an, an Australian play anymore, this um, Domino's Pizza Enterprises, DMP. Um, it's much bigger than that. And I think if you look at the that kind of the aspirational targets um, set out by management, we've got a 2X in stores um, across the entire group between now and 20, uh, 2033. Um, so that's a, that's a long runway for growth that they believe they have across Europe, Australia, New Zealand, um, and the whole Asian um, part of the business. So yep. they've, traditionally they've op operated in Japan, in Asia, but now um, with this Thai Taiwanese acquisition, um, they've got presence there too. And the basic formula is yes, they might overpay for the current business. I think it was um, around about one time sales was the enterprise value, but maybe uh, 10 to 20, 20 times um, EBITDA multiple, which is not um, a terrible stretch when you consider the kind of synergies and the experience that Domino's Asian team will bring to that market. So all around for me, you know, it's got really good free cash flow generation. Um, it's able to maintain its debt, even though it does have some pretty good margins for a pizza business. I still look at the Domino's stores and I think, how does this business be so successful? And I think the reason the share price was down previously, just one last thing, is that you might remember the, the kind of the wage uh, issues that people brought yes. up with a lot of these big chains. And that was kind of the, if you had the variant perception at that time, that was your kind of edge over other investors and your, your temperament would have um, seen you through there. So for me, even still, it's, you know, it's rallied pretty well. Um, if you backed on Mej to execute, I think it's, you know, to Michael's point, I think maybe, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a, a buy, a long-term buy, but a small position. Okay. And um, the fact that Dragon Tail's been taken over by Yum Brands, which uh, um, is the conglomerate behind Pizza Hut and, and KFC, um, yeah. will, will that do any damage to it, do you think? Well, the, the Dragon Tail software is an interesting one. Um, and this is where I do most of my work in small caps. Um, the Dragon Tail acquisition was interesting because Dragon Tail actually was effectively a food auditor. So yeah. when the, the pizzas would come through the oven, the, the Dragon Tail software could effectively scan it, make sure it's all okay, check the ingredients. Ah. An important piece of software for them, but it's not necessarily you know unmanageable. So I think right. they're going to be scrambling internally to find a replacement. But um, yeah, just something to be mindful of. Yeah, okay. And smart, smart play by Young, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, uh, there you go, Ryan. Uh, both Owen and Michael uh, saying even though it's a really high price at the moment that Domino's long-term buy. Um, now, uh, Owen Lucas wants a view on Temple and Webster Group, the, the online retailer into the homeware products area. During COVID, it was one of the absolute darlings of, uh, of the market. Um, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, I think, was uh, one of the, uh, the fanboys at that stage. But it's, it's had a, a, a bit of uh, coming back to earth, hasn't it? 
Yeah, I'm sure Claude would love um, the title of fanboy of, of Templar and Webster, Koshi. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting business. So online um, homewares and furniture, um, I think if you go, go back 10 years, you would never have thought that, hey, you know, you'd be buying a, a sofa or, online, yeah. but this is what you do now. And um, one of the really interesting stats that Temple and Webster came out with recently was that in the US um, during COVID and even till now, when it's um, come out a bit of the lockdowns, um, 20% of, of furniture and homewares is now purchased online, whereas yeah. they estimate in Australia it's around 9%. And as one of the leaders industry that's a, just a, a structural tailwind that's really just at the back just blowing heavy for this business to move forward and i think one of the things that people where i probably disagree with some analysts is that people tend to think that covid brought forward demand for online businesses whereas i think it sped up demand so the difference would be that people think that it's kind of like um, it's like a snake digesting something it's going to pass through and and, and it's never going to come again for me, it's more so that the adoption has increased, and that in itself is more structural than the kind of cyclical element that you would get from a once-off hit with COVID. Um, and if so, if you have that, if that's your perception of where the industry is going in terms of more online sales, Temple and Webster is definitely a good way to play that. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind, um, this is because it's a business that sells furniture, which you can, you know, they are they are fungible products. You can go somewhere else and get get these products. One of the things that I would say to all viewers is track the relevance of the business online because it is an online mm. business you can use free tools like alexa and you can put in the, the the url and track how that website is doing in terms of rankings and you can oh, put that next to a dares rv norman etc and you can use google trends trends.google.com which is a free tool to track what people are actually searching in real time and so you can find out how relevant this is because in the 21st yeah. In the 21st century, you've got to understand mindshare when it comes to this because that leads to lower customer acquisition cost, which in turn leads to bigger margins and more free cash flow. And so that's kind of the, the, the value chain for you as an investor to research and your investment process to follow. In summary, Koshi, sorry for the rant, but Temple and Webster is probably closer to a hold for me because I want to see yeah. how um, the, the results shake out over the full year. I want to make sure that, that uh, the business is still capturing share from incumbents. Um, yeah. And I just need the full results to do that. Um, really interesting tip, though, on how you can sort of bring another another level to your own research, though, on stocks like this. That that's fascinating. Um, Michael, what do you think of Temple and Webster? Um, look, I'd be I'd be cautious on this one here. I mean, coming I guess coming back to Owen's last point about wanting to see further results and and how much market share they're capturing. I guess the market, you know, got very excited about what they were doing at the back end of, of last year and, yep. um, you know, whether the, the trends to online shopping were, you know, were a one-off or a bit more structural. Um, but I think based on its valuation, it's, it's a bit hard to, you know, when you sort of try to plug in the numbers in terms of how much are they going to, to grow from here, you, if you miss it slightly based on its high PE, you, you know, you don't leave much room for error. Yep. So um, I think you've got that sort of uncertainty combined with just a general um, issue in the market around how to value high growth stocks because of what's happening with bond yields. So yeah. I think this will lead Temple and Webster's share price to not really do much from here. Um, so I think it's gonna consolidate that move from last year. So it'll probably just do nothing for a while right. um, until we can all sort of catch up and, and figure out where it's going and we could see that in the way it's trading. So a few months ago, it looked like it was in a bit of a downtrend. It seems to stop that. So it's base building at the moment. We could see the last few months, it's just trading in a range between about $8 and $11. So 
while it's yeah. doing that, I'm happy yeah. to, to just watch it. Um, but eventually, if everything comes to fruition, enough time, there'll be enough water under the bridge where the, the valuation will be attractive again, or the growth prospects will be a bit clearer, uh, and then it can resume another leg up. Okay. So one to watch, but I wouldn't want to be in it. Okay. All right. So I know from Temple and Webster there, from, uh, from Michael, a hold from Owen. But uh, thank you, Lucas, for that suggestion. Uh, our next stop uh, stock is um, Dave wants an opinion on Pushpay, the uh, New Zealand sort of origin tech business that built a platform that basically helps um, aimed at the church, hmm. re- religious community uh, in terms of online donations. And it's sort of a, uh, um, a, a customer management system that um, churches can adopt has had a big push um, into the United States and um, a lot of the Pentecostal churches there that you often see on TV which are big into fundraising mm. and they, uh, they fill that market. It's a, it's a really interesting uh, business platform to go into now expanding, expanding into Europe as well. Yeah, yeah. look I, I think this is one to, to watch. I think they've um, you know they've benefited with, with COVID in terms of online um, donations and so forth. Yeah. It, I guess, the, again, the question is how much of that will, will be structural and continue on. The reason why I say it's just a watch at the moment is that the share price has been heading backwards since October last year. So from 220 at the moment, it's around 160. So it's still on the slide. It looks like the market isn't believing the story here. So someone yeah. will need to be correct. So look, I'd, I'd be happy to go with the market, um, stay away from something that's trending lower. Ultimately, I prefer to be in things that are trending higher. Yeah. But there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect between the potential of this business and what the share price is doing. So I think it's yeah. worth watching. I think if we, you know, maybe it takes another result um, just to, uh, you know, remove any uncertainty that seems to be out there on, on this business. But um, you know, if that's the case, I'd be happy to buy. But for the moment, just no. just on the yep. sidelines. Owen, what do you think of Pushpay? Um, uh, good pedigree out of New Zealand. Kiwis tend to do little little tech businesses really well, don't they? Yeah, if it's good from New Zealand and it lives in Australia, it's Australian. <laughs> and, um, I think um, many investors in Australia have just relished in the idea that Pushpay is listed here because you know I've been I'm, myself and a shareholder have been a long-term shareholder in the business, and um, I really like what they do. So just to round out your kind of introduction to it, so. They do. They make money in two ways. The first way is they make money from church management software, so CHMS, and that's when you download the app and you have it on your phone and you want to find out what communities, uh, what the community is doing this weekend, and if you can get involved in activity, like if it's a charitable event or there's a congregation or something, and they charge a subscription fee for that. The other way they make money is through clipping the ticket when donations um, become. Um, we're, we're moving online. So this is a huge industry. Um, the actual digital giving industry uh, for the faith sector is growing at over 10% per year, mm-hmm. not only because people are giving, especially during COVID, but also because um, digital is taking a bigger share of giving overall. Yep. Because it's a much more effective way for churches to collect um, the donations, right? Because you can set up kind of a giving plan if you give a percentage of your wage to the church or to uh, whatever you know congregation you follow. And so the business itself embedded it 
its, its product in the market really early. And like Afterpay, what it did was is it focused on the biggest churches first. It got the list of the top 100 churches and it said to its sales team, go out there and win those clients. And the difference between Pushpay um, and some other businesses is that Pushpay focuses on Protestant churches and it also has a really white glove kind of hand-holding sales process. So they have this division of their business called customer success, which is basically just ensuring that the customer has success on the platform. And so what we've seen over years is that as customers are onboarded, um, and when I say customers, I mean churches, they actually spend more over time. So the, the value of a customer today is nothing compared to what it will be next year and the year after as more people in the fellowship um, take, on the, take on the tool. And uh, just one little side note, just on that share price chart there, the reason why it fell is because um, it, it split its stock. One yep. So if you're looking at that chart, thing, geez, that looks like a cliff face that it just fell yep. off. Um, that, that would explain why. So you still have the same percentage ownership, it's just a smaller yep. share price. Um, so some of the things, um, to Michael's point, just one, one thing I'll add on is that there, there's been a lot of musical chairs at the, at the top of this business. So we've seen a few big shareholders sell out We've also seen a change at the CEO level. Uh, Molly Matthews is the new CEO who's come on. Um, from what we can tell, she's relatively new to this type of business and this role. So we would love to see more from her, just her engaging and sharing her passion. Um, the business is in a pure inflection point. Cash flow is dripping straight through that income statement right down to the bottom line. They made a massive acquisition, I think it was about 18 months ago, and they've already paid it off just with internal free cash flow. And so. This is a business that is past that inflection point. It's got relevancy. It's just a matter of how fast the S-curve falls away. And valuing this business, um, we've still got it as a buy inside our subscription right. services. But um, it's definitely, I, I guess, a closer to fair value. So um, just be mindful that there could be some volatility if they don't execute and they don't meet their forecast. But they've, I think they've met every single guidance they've mm. ever given. So, okay. Um, yeah. All right. A Good. buy from me. Good rap from, uh, for Pushpay there from Dave. Um, Sam Owen wants a view on Suncorp, the, uh, the big Brisbane-based financial organisation, not only just insurance, but also banking services as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting business. I think because I'm from Melbourne, um, I don't really follow Suncorp that closely, um, both as a consumer, but also as an analyst, I tend to, at least for the f- past 10 years, have tend to avoided the big banks simply because of that yield compression that we're seeing from interest rates falling, uh, that tends to squeeze the profit margins. But also insurers t- tend to be the types of businesses that you want to buy in a bad year, uh, because basically the underwriting margin that they earn can go from break even to really bad in one year, and investor sentiment quickly just turns. So I was thinking about this on, in, in the lead up to today's program, and um, with Suncorp in particular, um, I think with any investment that you make in a blue chip company, you've got to ask yourself why you're investing in it. And I think I said this on the very first um, episode of the call that I did with you, Koshi, which was effectively that you buy shares for two reasons. One, you think the share price is going to go up, and the other one is you get dividends. If, if I was planning to buy, if I was just looking for income and I didn't care where it came from, I wouldn't be buying a single individual bank like Suncorp because the mm. dividend has been volatile over time. So I would opt for something like the VAS ETF, the A200 ETF, something more diversified. That said, if you think this business is going to grow, how can you value it? So just as a back of the envelope calculation that I did, you know, just before I came into the office, um, if we assume using analyst forecast that the next dividend, which is um, estimated to be 55 cents a share, 
If we assume that that's going to be constant but grow slightly each year, say at 3% a year, it's a fully franked dividend, so we gross that up, we get to 78 cents. If we assume, um, which is what most analysts probably would be assuming something around this, which is a 10% discount rate and a 3% terminal growth rate, which is the growth rate from here onwards, I get to a valuation of around about $11.14. That's a very back of the envelope calculation, but that's just below the current share price. So that's mm. a grossed up yield. And what it tells you, it's not so much about the valuation, what it tells you is that other analysts would have to see the company growing its dividend at more than 3% per year, which it probably could do. Um, how much more? I'm not 100% sure. But for me, if I was looking for dividend income, I, I, I wouldn't buy Suncorp. I would go with something like A200, which is an ETF that I already own. Okay. Um, so for me, Suncorp is a sell. Hmm. Okay. Michael? No, I don't like it. So, yeah, I think insurers are a bit too too volatile for me. Right. Um, Suncorp over time hasn't produced the goods in terms of share price appreciation. Look, at the moment, it is trending, you know, slightly trending higher, so that, that's positive, but I think there'll be better opportunities elsewhere. I think if you're looking at major financials at the moment, CBA or Macquarie would be the two picks. Right, okay. All right, so a no on Suncorp and a, uh, a sell from, um, uh, from Owen there. Um, Michael, um, we need a view now on Alcidian, the, the big software yep. company in the, in the healthcare area. Yeah, look, they're still growing quite nicely. Good organic growth, um, nice amounts of recurring revenue, um, positive cash flows. Look, everything seems to be going the right way for this stock. So maybe because of that, it's got quite a quite a premium attached to it. But um, again, I like to follow the trends. Um, you know, all those trends are heading the right way. The share price trend is heading the right way. Um, so the short of it is, I think we've covered this one on the show a few yeah. times already. Yeah, it look, still looks good. Still be right. happy to, to buy it. To buy it at these levels. Owen, what do you think of Alcidian? Yeah, uh, I like Michael's short answer. I, th I think it, it is a good company. I would buy it at today's level. We've rec we recommended this company um, just over 12 months ago, I think it was now. Um, just for people that don't know it, uh, it basically does two major things. We can we think of them as one thing as clinical just decision support. So in hospitals, it provides the software. And the key um, with Alcidian is that it's interoperable with other software providers. And so that's really important because no matter which hospital you're going into, they are never going to take the risk of completely overhauling their system. So you have yeah. to make sure that your software integrates with the existing providers. And so the thing with Alcidian is that, I, I can see if I could just have some, just some quick points. Firstly, it's on the NHS clinical communications procurement framework for SmartPage, which is basically taking that old thing that used to hang on the end of your bed frame when you're in hospital and making it digital. That means that they can get more deals over the line with NHS trusts. It's mission yeah. critical software. They've got a new CFO. And the, and the NHS is, is the UK's medical system, isn't it? So yep. for them yep. to get so, a leg in there was, was a really important uh, turning point for them. Yeah, and this is the thing, Koshi, as you know, um, the hardest thing to do is actually to sell yeah. medical software. So not actually develop it. You know, you can develop medical software, but actually getting it sold is very difficult because of the hoops that you have to jump through to get it in the door. And so like ProMedicus, which is another company that I follow closely, Alcidian has done this really well. Under Kate Quirk, who's the CEO, they've done this really well. Um, I think it's a good move that they've got a, a new CFO with Matthew Gepp. Uh, a couple of the things to be mindful of if I think of risks for Alcidian is reputational risk. If something was to go wrong, 
that would be a serious um, mm. turn in the road that they would have, you'd have to be mindful of as an investor. And the other thing is just be mindful of the reporting. I love reading the annual reports from our city and I think they're great, the conversational annual reports. But at the same time, um, just keep an eye on those things like annualized recurring revenue, what you're actually baking into your forecast going forward. Right. In summary, the, 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 the benefits outweigh the risks in my, in my opinion. So um, mm. I'd say this one's a buy. Okay. All right. Well, that's good because it's already in the calls portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it stays there as a result. Let's just recap. Uh, first five stocks plus stock of the day, uh, which was Seven West Media, uh, a hold from Owen, a yes from, from Michael on Seven West after its trading update today. Uh, Domino's, um, a yes from both um, Michael and Owen. It's sort of share price pretty high, but as a long-term investment, uh, they like it. Templar Webster, hold from Owen, a no from Michael. Pushpay, uh, a yes from Owen and a no from Michael. Suncorp, um, a sell from Owen and a no from Michael. And Alcidian, a yes from both of them. Uh, as I mentioned here at the call, we have uh, been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Um, any stocks that get two thumbs up um, like Domino's did today goes into the um, calls portfolio. If it comes up again, like Alcidian did, even if it's in front of a, a different expert panel at the time, uh, if it doesn't get unanimous thumbs up, it goes out of the portfolio. So let's see how we're tracking. Uh, for the week, we're up 1.5% for the month, just over 7%. And since the 1st of July, up 35%. Uh, some of the stocks recently added. Um, L1, Long Short Fund, uh, RPM Global, uh, Ramsey Healthcare, Medical Developments, and uh, Janison Education. Uh, some of the stocks that have been removed, Whisper, Bravura, and Home Consortium. To check all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, now, are you a retail investor wanting to get in on the pre-IPO companies before they list? There is now a way with Open Investing, which has just released its prospectus to ASIC as it aims to list later this year. Chief Executive Brett Tucker takes us through the opportunities from 1.40 p.m. right here on Ausbiz. All right, let's get into uh, our second five stocks um, for the second half hour of the call. And Michael um, uh, Clevis wants a view on Frontier Digital Ventures. Now, Frontier Digital Ventures is uh, in the online advertising space, if you like. Um, uh, we all know about REA in property. We all know about Seek in, um, in recruitment, online advertising, uh, car sales in terms of advertising. Uh, Frontier Digital does those sorts of platform platforms, but in developing countries, either with local partners or starting them up for themselves. Uh, mm. It's an interesting twist yeah. on on some an interesting sector here in Australia. Yeah, look, it's um, yeah interesting idea. They've they've been doing it a bit tough recently. I, I guess yeah. obviously the you know one of the main risks is with the developing countries. You've got a lot of sort of uh, uh, individual. Um, country risk, and we've seen Myanmar and the, the civil unrest there. Um, that is affecting their business. I think only about 5% of their earnings come from that, that country. But um, 
it seems to be putting a bit of a bit of a cloud over over this business because it's it is still a loss making business. They're trying to make acquisitions uh, and grow. So, um, and and, uh, and the share price is reflecting that that uncertainty. So, um, look look the the ASX is full of you know companies that don't make a profit yet, but the share price goes up because you've got this clear path to. Yeah. Um, profitability and growth but I think that yeah this one to me just seems a little bit bit too difficult if you look at something like an REA um, that you mentioned that's you know that's growing quite nicely yes it's much more expensive but it's got a nice trend to it in, in terms of its share price and its growth this one I just think is just a little bit too risky and uncertain yeah. for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, Owen what do you think of uh, Frontier Digital they, they did a sort of version of REA in Vietnam, didn't they, with local partners and then get bought, got bought out. So that seems to be a, a bit of the strategy. Started in these countries, take Australian expertise there to set up these ventures with local partners and then exit. Yeah, it is. I think Google def- describes it as a private equity style company um, yeah. for that reason, because it has kind of these holdings and, and it has the ability to buy and sell. Um, one of the things to keep in mind, I guess, just straight off the bat is the valuation. We're looking at um, quarterly revenues, I've just got them here, of around about you know, $11 million. So I'm just going to, simple, in simple terms, I'm just going to uh, multiply that by four. We're looking at about $44 million in revenue on a, on a market cap of around about $480 million. So um, you're paying about 10 times sales. So you want conviction that the, the company is grow, going to grow well. Um, and so it has done through acquisitions and, it, and it's done through, so through you know, some of those businesses taking off. I think one of the things to also be mindful of is how much revenue comes from Zameen, which is the, the key Pakistani asset. Um, I remember going on that website quite a few years ago and I was actually um, pretty impressed by how well that, that um, website had developed. So they've actually put a lot of care into it and it's, it's totally the same experience that you would expect from an REA group or a domain or, or rent.com.au, any of those businesses here in Australia um, very similar model. The thing is, you know, um, uh, to Michael's point, still not profitable, still um, needs to do some things to really get that cash flow tipping in. I mean, I can see them doing that in the near term, but um, again, I think it just comes down to valuation for me. So I'd say it's best to hold if I'm being optimistic, and I, I think it's a pretty pretty good day to be optimistic, so I'll say a hold. Okay, all right. <laughs> a hold for uh, Frontier Digital from uh, Owen. Um, now, Owen Shib wants a view on uh, Hearts and Minds Investments. The uh, it's it's interesting. It's an Im- investment fund that our top fund managers sort of uh, suggest stocks to go into it, and um, any of the fees go to charitable organisations. It's it's a it's a big industry focus, isn't it, as a way of uh, of putting back into community. Well, that's it. It's a great initiative because. Uh, it doesn't cost the fund managers anything extra to do this type of work. So yeah. I think that's a really, a really good way to think about it is the fund managers are doing the investing anyway. So what's adding the money to their you know, business going to do? Nothing really. So they can do it. It's good for them. It's good for the community. Uh, we saw this quite a few years ago with the future generation funds. So they were a very similar structure insofar as they, they yeah. um, took investors' money in and they invested it and some of that profit and some of the NTA went away every year. Um, the difference with with hearts and minds is that it's individual stocks. So the fund managers come together once a year and they, they pitch stocks um, as part of the conference, which goes into a portfolio and that gets a particular uh, part of the portfolio. And then you've got these select fund managers, really high quality fund managers, I should, I should add to companies like uh, 
we've got Cooper investors, we've got Magellan, those types of businesses in their paradise. Um, those fund managers are selecting stocks that go in the core part of the portfolio. So it's a, it's a really, um, it's actually performed really well. It's, it's, it's run by competent people. Um, it's got a good allocation in terms of the investments, but just be mindful of the mechanism at which, of which you get your exposure. So if I was speaking to an investor about this listed investment company, I would just remind them that, you know, there's the share price, um, the share price, how does that relate to the NTA, aka the value of the investments inside it, and how does um, the investment performance on those assets actually look? The investment mm. performance is very good, the share price is above NTA if I'm not mistaken, so you've got to be mindful that um, you might mm. be paying a premium for assets. One thing I'll leave people with here is that um, during the global financial crisis, we saw discounts, so the share price was um, at times 40, 50, or 60% below the value of assets inside listed investment companies. And so that can happen at times. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it can happen where you're effectively buying a dollar for 60 cents. Um, so you want to be mindful about where you buy. Um, yeah. And also, if you're looking at this company or this listed investment company, go and have a look at the future generation funds as well. Very similar structure, except they use funds instead of stocks. Um, for me, it's probably a hold, but great okay. to see it doing well. Yep. Michael? Um, yeah, Owen, Owen's covered it really well. I mean, the, you know, over 12 months or, or 18 months, it's actually the share price has done done really well. It's got some international shares in there as well. Yeah. You know, those markets have done well. So, look, in the last few months, it has underperformed. So, I guess it depends on on the sort of timeframes you want to look at. If you if you're looking at okay, it's it's underperformed a few months, I'm going to pull the pin. But if you're happy to wear that, it seems to be on the way back up. I mean, quite simply, does it, you know, if we put, all, put aside all the, um, you know, the positive charitable um, aspects, if you're just looking at, am I going to make money out of this compared to something else? Look, 12-month returns are, are good enough that, you know, if you're looking for an LIC, I'd be happy to hold it. Right. Okay. All right. So I hold for uh, hearts and minds. Um, Henry wants to view Michael on Australian Finance Group, mm. the big mortgage broking group in uh into mortgage origination, home loans, commercial loans, mainly through mortgage brokers, isn't it? They, um, yeah. they, they fund these. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's been a good environment for, for all of these guys. Oh, and yeah. um, booming and it, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, and the margins still, still look fine. Um, yeah, look, I think there's, there's a tailwind there. Um, the share price, though, has underperformed over the last few months. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd prefer to yeah I'd I'd prefer to see that actually sort of kick on from here. I mean, if you're looking at say again a CBA, I mean that's that's a share price that's still heading higher. So yeah. I suppose I'd say look, I wouldn't want to invest in this. I'd rather be in in CBA. I could see the the opportunity here with with the tailwinds. I mean, it's it's improved quite a bit since those March lows last year in terms yeah. of the share price. Um, but the tailwinds have been going for a while, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. Property market's booming. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, and again, CBA's share price is going up. Our yeah. REA we mentioned before, that share price is, yeah. Yeah. is heading higher. Why isn't this AFG's, yeah, yeah, so I mean, is there something going on there? Um, look, I'd, I'd rather be out if it gets going again. You know, maybe, maybe there'd be a good announcement, but, um, you know, quite simply, it just comes down to share price performance if yep. they're not performing now when you've got <coughs> the lowest interest rates the mm. the highest growth in in property prices in however many years then yeah. when are they going to mm. get okay 
Uh, Owen, what do you think of Australian Finance Group? Yeah, it's a really interesting business, Koshi. Um, I think anyone that's been through the home buying process would know just how clunky it is to still apply for a loan, even through some mortgage brokers. Uh, the mortgage yes. brokers use disparate systems that try and compare this you know, rate from that bank and, and whatever. I think um, when we went through for our home recently, uh, one of the brokers actually used um, this software and um, actually we're aligned. And I think, you know, this is a business that I guess just it's not the purest way to get exposure to. Um, if you're thinking property prices and a, and a way to get exposure to that, it's probably not the way I would do it because it's kind of an indirect exposure insofar as going through like a broken community. Um, you'd, to Marcus' point, I'd probably rather a bank uh, in this instance. Um, you know, $750 million business, been going for a long time. Um, you know, I, I believe it plays a diff, decent dividend. Um, and it's got 3,000 brokers that you know can, can compete for, for loans and issued loans. So I think the things to be mindful of are, I guess, just being aware of the, the liability side of a balance sheet. You know, I, I was once told by Mary Manning, who's a great investor from Elliston Capital, and she said, the bank's opportunity is on the income statement and risk is on the balance sheet. And so when you look at a, a business um, like a bank or anything that kind of has to securitize its debt, just be really mindful of the the, the balance sheet side of the ledger and the, in particular the liabilities, um, remembering that banks also categorize um, loans as, as, yeah. as, as well, the thing is, you know, ship shape and nothing untoward there. Yeah. So for me, in summary, um, I would probably have it, you know, if I'm thinking about the opportunity costs, for me, it's probably a sell because I'd want to recycle that money elsewhere. Okay. All right. So uh, good analysis there. Henry, appreciate the suggestion. Uh, Owen, Jacob wants uh, a view on Big Ten Can, uh, another tech business. They have uh, what's called a, they, they put into big companies uh, a Big Ten Can hub, which is um, like a sales tool, isn't it? A customer relationship management tool. Um, some big clients, AT&T, Merck, ANZ Bank, uh, Thermo Fisher, um, they're, they're based in, headquartered in Boston. Big Ten can, mm. aren't they? It's a, yeah, an interesting yeah. business. Yeah, and it IPO'd not that long ago no. uh, here in Australia. Um, I believe it was started in Sydney. Um, and so the business is really interesting because I, I, I love businesses that grow fast and talk about things like annualised recurring revenue when they've got low um, customer churn or they've got high stickiness, meaning that the customers stick around for a while. Um, shares are up pretty strongly today, if I'm not mistaken, on, on, on the announcement of another acquisition. And so the way you can think about, the way I think about Big Tin Can is basically getting the salesperson closer to a deal. And yeah. so that just means, you know, a better experience for the salesperson leads to a better experience in the selling process and therefore more conversions. You know, another yeah. one of their big clients, if I'm not mistaken, is Nike. So, I mean, that's a really good client to have as well. Um, I think the thing is that that kind of puts me off Big Tin Can. There are a couple of things. I don't really have necessarily a good understanding of, um, you know, all of the complementary acquisitions they're making. Um, I would love to see this business making those acquisitions without issuing shares. I think, you know, if you look at some of the biggest and best roll-ups in the world, particularly software businesses, you look at, say, like Constellation Software out of Canada um, with Mark Leonard at the helm, they've done a tremendous job of acquiring other software businesses in, in sometimes niche verticals without having to issue stock. And the way that they do that is effectively two to three years after they've made the purchase, the company that they purchased is producing enough free cash flow that the company can then go use that free cash flow to buy another business mm. 
without using debt or equity. And I just, um, you know, we've got some articles on mass media from our team. Um, I'll call out one from um, Patrick Melville, who wrote about the acquisitions that have been made in, in recent times. Um, I think they're around about 10 since 2018. And I, I guess, it, you know, we could think about some analogies in biology here where, you know, water kind of flows downhill. Um, <laughs> why, does, why does a company make acquisitions if the organic growth potential is so good? And so that's a really interesting question to ask yourself. Why is a company making acquisitions if its product, as it says, is really, really good? Um, is it because it wants to make it better? Um, is it because you know it needs to broaden its suite? Is it scared of competitive threats? I really don't know the answer to the yeah. tin can um, in that instance. So for me, it's a hold um, until I've done some further digging into the acquisition strategy. Okay. All right, a hold for a moment. Michael, what do you reckon? So, hmm. Is it too simple to say this is sort of a, a competitor to Salesforce, what it does within big companies? It's all about getting yourself, yeah. uh, getting those sales processes and, and customer relationships tighter. Yeah, look, this one's funny. When I was looking at it this morning, um, firstly, I was trying to get ahead around the, the products itself, but but looking at their, their growth in their revenue all through last year, just you know, not affected by COVID, if anything, positively affected. Um, yeah, revenue was climbing. Um, they announced guidance at, at the top of um, the previous range in February. Everything was stacking up. Um, they seemed to be in the right space, big clients, et cetera, et cetera. Share price though, since October has been pummeled and it just gets pummeled on, on high volume. So it just, it just wasn't adding up. What, what What's going on? Why isn't it? Um, but then I've just noticed, um, just earlier that uh, they've had an announcement um, just a moment ago to upgrade their guidance and the share price has, has popped. So yeah, yeah. I, I turned up, cost so, you so. going to say, look, I, I don't think I want to buy this, but now, you know, now I'm not so sure. I'll have to right. look at the numbers. So look, I, I won't commit to saying it's a buy because right. it just something, don't know why it's been going backwards on big volume yeah. for such a, a well-positioned business. And so. then put out a positive yeah update today yeah so i'll have to look at that it, update and we get we just seen the uh, got him can we bring up the the daily share price or we just do uh do the annual here but um i did did notice a bit of a blip uh there we go there yeah it's just popped uh, today up. yeah it's just so, popped up on that announcement and the um the trading update yeah so maybe that that announcement answers some of my yeah. concerns, I'm not sure. So, okay. um, so you're going to do a bit more at, work? In I'll, have to, I'll have to do some more okay. work. Okay, yeah. all right. It is interesting, these updates, and we're getting quite a few and invested days at the moment, aren't mm. we? Which is really starting to move the markets. All right, our uh, final stock. Ray wants a view on uh, Michael on Treasury Wine Estates, the uh, Australia's biggest wine wine business with, yeah. with brands like, like Penfold's got absolutely smashed when China put trade restrictions mm. on um, uh, on Australian wine exports into China. It, you would think, would be a beneficiary of the new free trade deal into yep. uh, into the UK. Yeah, look, uh, happy to keep this brief. I mean, Treasury Wines, we all know what's happening there with, yep. with China. Um, they are increasing their sales to other other areas. Yep. Um, they're trying to maintain high margins on, on their premium brands like Penfold. So, at the end of the day, it's it's pretty much a turnaround story. How long? But how long do we have to wait as investors to see them recover um, those lost sales? I guess a positive catalyst would be that 
with China, perhaps they reverse some of those bans and that would be yep. a huge uplift for the share price. But yep. at the moment, to me, it just looks like it's going to be a bit of a hard slog to to recover those earnings. Um, I'd rather be elsewhere, okay. is the short of it. Uh, Owen, what do you think of Treasury? Last time I came on the show, Koshi, um, I said I'd rather buy Flight Centre than Treasury Wines. And um, one of our writers at Rast Media immediately got me on Slack and said, I think you're wrong. And um, <laughs> I'm going to show you why. And um, I, I've got to admit that, uh, Lachlan, I know you're watching this. Um, I think you are right. Because um, he's since made the case for and against the company. And basically, if you think about uh, uh, the value of a company, typically we think of enterprise value or market capitalization as analysts. There's a really easy way that you can think about different brands or different operating segments in a company. And the easiest way is to think, okay, that bit of the business is worth X, that bit is worth Y. And with Penfolds um, and Treasury Wines restructuring, um, it's actually pretty clear to see that Penfolds is still going pretty well. Um, and so we can value the business just based purely off penfolds. And so if we look at you know the EBITs um, from the company that was generated just out of penfolds recently, uh, we're looking at it's trading about 22 times just the penfolds um, operating earnings. Wow. So then basically, if we just if we just thought that it was the penfolds operating earnings 22 times, and then we t- think about all the other stuff that you get when you buy Treasury wines, uh, you get premium brands, you get Treasury wines in the Americas, and the repositioning of a lot of inventory to India, to the UK, to the USA, where admittedly the brand awareness isn't that low. And here in Australia, um, there might be some issues with flooding the market with inventory. But if you think about that very simple kind of calculation, um, you can quickly arrive at what would be a fair value for Treasury wines. And um, I think that's one way to think about it. To Michael's point, I think a really interesting one is that by making it more obvious how good Penfolds is within the business, it actually opens it up as a takeover target. So someone might come along that has the distribution in the United States and say to Treasury Rise, well, we'll take that from you and here's how much we'll give you for it. And just by effectively putting itself on, on sale, you know, like the foreshadowing with uh, the Chinese um, imports, uh, I think we could have a bit of a foreshadowing here in terms of Treasury Wine saying this is what we want to do um, and this is how good our business is. So let's see what happens in the future. I think it's a really interesting business. I would have it as a small position in a portfolio. It's actually one that I'm currently looking at. So um, yeah. let's just say at the moment, we'll call it, even though it's a, a mid to large cap, let's call it a speculative buy. Okay, because if you put it like that, I've, I've just um, uh, looked up all of their brands. If you say it's on 22 times earnings of Penfold, it's got Wolf Blast, it's got Wins Kudawara, Lindemann's, uh, Sterling, Yellow Glen, Sepult, Rosemount. Got a hell of a lot of um, uh, brands yeah. in there. Yeah, we're probably putting it on sale right now, Koshi. So uh, we have to make sure that we get some shares first. But um, yeah, and I think that's the way that you can think about it. Uh, it's a it's a it's a business with many many important brands yeah. in, in a lot of um, you know wine drinkers' lifestyles. So. Um, and I know in parts of Asia, it is still, you know, it's drank, by, it's drunk by the gallon. So, um, yeah. still a really um, interesting business. Lots of good mm. brands, um, and the valuation seems reasonable. I think to Michael's point again, you've just got to back management to execute, yep. and if they execute, it'll look cheap in hindsight. But you've got to back management, yep. and they, there are some reasons you wouldn't. Some reasons. Yep. absolutely. And Tim Ford, the. Uh, uh, the chief executive, highly regarded, apart from being a, 
a mad Port Adelaide supporter in the AFL, which is good. <laughs> uh, that's another big tick for him. All right, let's recount the other five stocks um, in um, today. Frontier Digital, uh, a hold from Owen, a no from Michael. Um, Hearts and Minds, a hold from, uh, from both. Australian Financial Group, a no. Uh, Big Tin Can, uh, a hold from Owen. And uh, Michael has got to say a no, but is being swayed by... <laughs> Uh, the uh, the earnings update that uh, that just came out uh, an hour or so ago, so he's got to go back and have a look at it. And Treasury a, a no from Michael and a yes from Owen. Uh, I'm Raskovic from uh, from Rask Media. Great to see you. What what have you got on the platform at the moment? What are some of the highlights oh. of people if want to go and uh, go and sign up? Uh, there's always highlights, mate. I think we, we're publishing maybe 20 articles a day on ASX-listed companies. So you can go to raskmedia.com.au and even join one of our premium services if you like what we do. So I appreciate the, the mention, but yeah. That's where All right, mate. Good, good to see you. Michael Gable from Fairmont. Good to see you, mate. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's been an interesting selection of stocks it's today. A few good ones. Uh, with Domino's going into the calls portfolio and Alcidian staying there. Uh, that's our uh, show for today. If you'd like any stocks to be put to our expert panel, email them, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Or remember, uh, reminder, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, find them on osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, now, don't forget at the end of each day, if you want to wrap up of what's happened in the markets, business, finance, uh, you need the newsletter, you get Scuddy's View, you get uh, the COB podcast, you get links to all the most popular interviews uh, on the platform during the day. Subscribe, osbiz.co forward slash COB. Uh, from equities to cryptocurrency, Osbiz brings it all to you. Coming up next is uh, Jeremy from uh, Gemini, who says, as a crypto investor, you have to look past the short term volatility. There's enough of that. So where should you be looking instead? He tells us right after the break. So stick around. A lot happening on Ausbiz.